Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Radically Christian Bible Study Podcast. I'm Travis Pauley, and here we have one goal, learn to love like Jesus. On today's episode, Wes and I are going to be discussing the question, what is faith? I hope you enjoy this conversation. Travis, how are you? I'm doing fantastic. Good. How are you? I'm great. It's been a long time since you and I have gotten to sit down and record together. I know. We've, I've been listening in on yes. all of the conversations that you've had with preachers, and man, those have been really good. Kind of had some roundtable yeah. conversations remotely, so it's nice to have somebody in the flesh in the same room That's to, right. to talk to. So yeah, I'm excited about this. And we're going to be discussing uh, a very Big question. Yeah. Maybe one of the biggest questions you can ask yeah. in life yeah. Yeah. Uh, today. Yeah, it's such an important question. Such an important question. And from a, a, a friend of ours, somebody that we know, Kent. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I'm, I'm glad I'm glad that he asked this. And actually, it's kind of surprising that we haven't done a podcast, I don't think, yeah. on this question. And if we have, it's been so long that I don't even remember. So let's do it again. Uh, but yeah, this this question of faith is is such an important question because I think that most people today misunderstand what faith really is or what, yeah. what the biblical authors meant when they used the word we translate as faith. So I've got the question here. It's kind of separated into four questions. Okay. So number one. What is the definition of faith? Okay, yeah, let's let's tackle that first. We'll we'll dive we'll right kinda, in. Yeah, go go one by one and and talk about those. So let's do it. Yeah, I I think the first thing that I would say as far as the definition of faith, really, let's let's talk about the definition of pistis because that's the Greek word pistis, and and when we talk about pistis, what we typically don't understand is that at the time. It was a highly political word. Mm. And when I say political, I don't just mean like the 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 Roman governor kind of political, but political right. on a on a street level, political on an everyday level of how life worked in the ancient world. Pistis was incredibly important. Um, it it and and of course it would be political. <laughs> of course, Paul would use political, a political word. Jesus would use a political word because the the gospel is political it's about the kingdom of god it's about god establishing his rule and reign on the earth reconnecting marrying again heaven and earth under the the rule and reign of king jesus so that's what the whole gospel is about and so often we we sort of separate it out and we think well this is religious this isn't political it's like no no no. there is no christianity that is not political not earthly politics this is not about earthly politics this is about the kingdom of god and what it means for god to rule and reign through king jesus what it means for us to be citizens of jesus's kingdom that's Mm. what that's what Matthew, of course, is all about, but all of the gospel accounts are about. And what, what Paul continues to proclaim is this good news that God has established his long-anticipated rule and reign through his Messiah, his anointed one, King Jesus. So when we, even when we say the term Jesus 
Christ, when we say Christ, that's his title as king. It's not his last name. Right, that's not his last name. And, and, and sometimes we just forget that. So when we say, put your faith in Christ, put your pistis in the Christos, mm-hmm. in the anointed one, in the Messiah, Jesus, that of course would have had highly political overtones in the first century world, and it should continue to do so for us today. Mm-hmm. And so we have to think about it in those terms. Another aspect or layer to this is is the idea of patronage. And that's a concept that, that I've only fairly recently become familiar with. I first became aware of it in a book called Misreading Scripture with Individualist Eyes. I would recommend that book. I don't agree with everything that the authors um, put in the book, but but wow, what a helpful book in sort of understanding what the ancient collectivist culture was like in comparison, especially with our individualism of the of the 21st century, and why we tend to not understand what's going on in the in the ancient world because we just live in a very different culture. For instance, one of the terms that that would have been fairly well understood in the ancient world that we have an entirely different meaning for today would be well, one is pistis. We'll talk about it in a second, but another one is friend. What does it mean to be a friend? Well, we think, oh, that means my buddy, my my pal. Right. In the in the collectivist world, in a world of patronage, a friend was someone that you had a sort of political alliance with. Mm-hmm. It was somebody make, who like salt covenants and yeah, right, yeah, way back. yeah. It could it could be like that, um, but it could be the kind of a situation where a patron. Um, and, and a lot of times, friend was used for someone who was on your same social level. And a patron was somebody who was on a level higher than you. Mm-hmm. So someone that that gave you a gift of grace. <laughs> the the Greek word is charis. So if if a patron or someone who wants to enter into a friendship with you gives you a gift of charis, gives you a charis, a gift, then that gift comes with certain strings attached. Mm-hmm. And it's hard for us to even say strings attached without thinking about something negative. But in, in a collectivist world, you wanted strings attached. Yeah. It was a good thing to enter into a relationship where there were gifts being exchanged with strings attached. Because now it means that Travis gave Wes a caress, a gift, some sort of gift. You're going to be my patron. And now I have a certain obligation to you. But it also means you have an obligation to me. And now because these gifts have been exchanged, now we have a certain relationship, a reciprocal relationship that we're going to work together in the future. And especially if somebody is in a patronage relationship, a patron that has done some great favor, showed some great favor to a what you might call a client, mm. someone who is on a lower social, social status than them, and given them this charis, then the expectation was that they would return that charis, again, we translate that word as grace, that they would reciprocate that grace, not only with gratitude, but with pistis, mm. with faith. So so the the client, the person that received the gift from the patron, would be expected to be faithful to the patron. Mm -hmm. And there was this expectation that if I give you this gift, whatever it is, I mean, it may be 
maybe some kind of a, they built something for you or they started a business for you or they gave you this land or they, they forgave you this debt or whatever it was. They paid off a debt for you. They, they purchased you, redeemed you out of slavery. I don't know what, what that gift might be, but there was an expectation that because your patron did you this great favor that you could never repay. That wasn't the question of repaying or earning the gift. That, that was never really a question. That, that wasn't the idea. It's not, I'm, I'm trying to pay him back, and once I pay him back, then, then it's gone. Right. It's like, no, that, that's not the idea. The idea is because he did this great favor for you, now you owe him a debt of, of pistis, of faithfulness to him. Here's what, here's what the book, uh, Misreading Scripture with Individualist Eyes says. It says, a client's faith, again, a client would be the person under the patron or the recipient of the patron's gift. A client's faith, pistis, wasn't believing a list of concepts about the patron, but trusting in the patron. Paul expects us to trust or have faith in what God has indeed done. A natural result of this trust in what God has done for us is that we stop searching around for other patrons or ways of gaining protection. We stop trying to somehow earn favor in God's sight. We have no need for these things because we have already received charis, grace, from God. We are therefore loyal, that's a great word, loyal, pistis, to God. We give him our allegiance as opposed to other patrons. So again, this kind of highlights why if you have a patron, this patron has not only given you a previous gift of charis, of grace, but he is also promising that in the future, he will continue to grace you with his protection. And so if you go as the client of this patron and you go and try to find other patrons and give your pistis, your loyalty, your allegiance to other lords, to other masters, to other rich benefactors, then you are being disloyal to your original patron. Right. And so if God is our patron, the one who has bestowed upon us the greatest charis, the greatest grace, he has given us his favor, his love, he's adopted us into his family, then he expects us to respond to his grace with pistis, with faith, with loyalty, with allegiance, with devotion, with commitment. It's interesting. We often think about commitment as being a, a biblical idea, mm -hmm. but in most Bible translations, you won't find the word commitment. And people think, well, why not? Why isn't the word commitment in the Bible? Well, it's because that idea is pistis. Pistis right. is commitment. Faith is commitment. That's what it is to have faith in God. Her faith in Jesus is to be committed to him. Not only, not only committed in the sense of, quote unquote, being religious, but an exclusive commitment where we're saying, I trust that you will, as my patron and my benefactor, my Lord, my King, my master, that you are my protector, you are my provider. And so I'm not going to try to give my allegiance to multiple lords or masters. I'm not going to try to give my allegiance to multiple kings. This is why to, to say Jesus is Lord in the first century world that was a, a, a dissident type of a thing to say. Yep. Th this, is, this is treasonous to Caesar because Caesar is supposed to be everyone's patron, everyone's benefactor. He's given all of this grace and mercy to the world. And so you, you owe your pistis, your loyalty to Caesar. And the Christians are saying, no, 
my loyalty to Caesar has been broken, and now my loyalty belongs to Jesus. Now I will continue to I will continue to be respectful, I'll continue to pay my taxes, but I am not loyal to Caesar. I am loyal to King Jesus. And that's why eventually the Romans would would kill them because you can't have loyalty to two different kings. You can't have pistis Jesus to two that. different kings. That's exactly right. You can't have two masters. Yeah. You can't have two masters, whether it's God and, and money, treasure, mammon, or God and Caesar, Jesus and Caesar. Yep. You can't have loyalty to two different kings. You can't have loyalty to two different kingdoms. And again, this is why this is highly political language to say our faith is in Jesus we are saying our faith is not in any other ruler, and it's not in any other kingdom. Our citizenship belongs to the kingdom of heaven. Another interesting book, I haven't read this one, full disclosure, but it's been recommended many times, and I, I love the title of it, and every quote I hear from it, I think, oh, I really need to get around to reading this one, by Matthew Bates called Salvation by Allegiance Alone. Salvation by Allegiance Alone. Instead of faith alone, allegiance alone. And that's exactly right. He says, with regard to eternal salvation, rather than speaking of belief, trust, or faith in Jesus, we should speak instead of fidelity to Jesus as cosmic Lord or allegiance to Jesus the King. And that's exactly what pistis means. Allegiance, fidelity, loyalty, commitment. And again, it is trust. It is trust. It is belief. But for us in the 21st century world, those words just have religious meaning. And what we typically mean is we believe, a, we believe a set of doctrines about Jesus. When we say, do you believe in Jesus? Do you have faith in Jesus? We're, we're thinking, do you believe some, some facts about him? That's a totally different concept yeah. than simply, have you pledged your loyalty to him? Are you his disciple? Are you his apprentice? And so it's not just about what happens in your mind or in your heart. It is that. It's part of that. That's definitely part of it. But to make it exclusively that is to to miss this bigger picture of what Pistis meant in the first century. Yeah, you know, I was thinking about this, thinking about this question and, and what you've been getting into, the definition of faith. I was thinking the first word, you know, synonym that came to the top of my head was gamble. Mm. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to bet on something. And like, that's sort of the, like this surface level definition of faith mm. that, that mm. Uh, maybe we, we've come to in the modern world. Yeah. 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 Good point. But then I thought about it and I was like, well, if you push through a little deeper, it's not a gamble in the same way that I have no control over the outcome Yeah, and I'm just putting my money in at the, you know, in the center of the table, we'll see what happens. It's yeah. not that kind of a gamble. Yeah. yeah. It's, but it is, it is a gamble. Sure. Because it's like, I've never met Christ yes. in the flesh. Right. I've never spoken to God. Yes. Back and forth conversation. Yeah. So there is a sense in which like, no, I am, I'm going out on a ledge. Right. With my faith. Yes. With my belief. Yes. That Christ came down, he lived, he died, he was resurrected. That's and the big one, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that he was resurrected, yeah. and what that means for me. I don't know beyond a shadow of a doubt that that happened, yeah. but I am, I bet my life on it. Right, right. And I think that's where, like, as you were talking about Pistis and the idea, you know, that idea of fidelity and loyalty being 
so central to the idea of faith. Mm-hmm. I think maybe the, kind of the other side of that coin is it's, yes, I'm willing to believe this despite what new finding, you know, comes out that says, you know, bring some biblical event into question. Maybe it didn't happen. I, I'm not concerned about those mm-hmm. things because I know that in my heart that this mm-hmm. story is true, mm-hmm. that the stories that are told are true. Mm-hmm. It might not always meet our understanding mm-hmm. of, mm-hmm. well, it happened exactly this way. It's, you know, no, it's, it's, it's something that is evident when you try it out. Mm-hmm. Like it's, I, I, think, I think there's a lot of things in life like that, it's particularly really important things. But I think faith is one of those things like just the question, will it make your life better? If you follow Jesus, I, I can't. I can't prove it to you because actually, there's a lot of stories that know people's lives yeah, get yeah. a lot worse. There's a, there's a good chance <laughs> that in the first century you were going to die. Yeah. Like, there's a good chance it's as from a from an earthly perspective, it's going to get much worse. Yeah, yeah. So it's like I can't really answer that question for you. You have to try it. Yeah. You actually have to try. The, the only thing I can really do is be an example and sh- and and live a life that is proof to other people. Yeah. That. No, faith in Jesus is really what it's yeah. all about. There's a, there's, a, there's an interesting, and I'm glad you brought all of that up, because I think it gets to Hebrews 11, 1 and 2, which is sort of the go-to all definition of, of people. Uh, the ESV reads this way. It says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, for by it the people of old received their commendation. Now, now I think there, of course, the Hebrew writer is talking about pistis in God. Having having faith in God, being loyal to God, right. on a on a street level, the way that pistis would typically be used in the ancient world, it didn't necessarily mean you haven't seen something or haven't seen someone. Because if you put your pistis in a patron, then you you've probably seen that patron. You've at least seen something that that patron has done. And even with God, when when these people, the Hebrew writer is about to go through this whole long list of of those who have had pistis in God, mm-hmm. who have had this kind of loyalty and allegiance and faith in God. And, and those people, too, had seen things that God had done. So faith is based on, on two things. It's based on what your patron has done in the past, but it's also based on what you believe and hope your patron will do in the future. So as it pertains to God, we are basing our faith on what God has done in the past, primarily, to your point, raising Jesus from the dead. Mm-hmm. That I know I know for a fact that God has done. God has raised Jesus from the dead. And if that's true, then I believe, I hope, I have confidence that God will also raise me from the dead, that God will keep all of his promises that he has made. So I give him my loyalty, my, my fidelity, my trust that he is going to, he's going to be good on his promises. That's why Paul would say that the Holy Spirit is our down payment. He's our seal that, that our patron really will keep his promises. And so here the Hebrew writer is specifically talking about, he's not saying you don't have any evidence because you do have the evidence of what God has done in the past, but it's the, it is the assurance of things hoped for. Anytime you put your faith in any patron, even if it's a patron you've seen and one that has proven to be faithful in the past and to, to do what they've said that they've done, there's still, there's still an aspect of hope because you don't know if your enemies attack, is your patron going to come to your rescue? 
Is your patron going to send his troops to defend you? Is he going to keep his promises to be your protector and your provider? If you get into financial trouble, is your patron going to come and and give you more gifts so that you can get out of financial trouble? You hope so. You hope that he will be good to his promises. And so that's what we're saying with King Jesus. We're saying we, we have assurance of all of these things we hope for to the extent that we will live this life that doesn't make any earthly sense. Mm -hmm. Like it doesn't work from an earthly perspective. Like it very well will get you killed. And that's what the whole chapter of Hebrews 11 is about. All of these people that did things that didn't make earthly sense, that, that they did these things that were crazy in their moment, in their time, but they did them by faith because they trusted that God was going to be who he said he was going to be and do what he said he was going to do. So their faith was based on what did God do in the past and how does that give me confidence about what God will do in the future? And so they they acted upon that assurance that God really would deliver on what he had promised to do. If you want to take your Bible study to the next level, I want to recommend to you the tool that I use, Logos Bible Software. They have more tools, resources, commentaries, and reference material than you can imagine. Whether you're a minister, Bible class teacher, elder, deacon, or a follower of Jesus who wants to get a better grasp on Scripture, Logos is at least worth checking out. It can be a significant investment, but not only do they offer an amazing resource for your laptop or your desktop computer, but they also have a mobile app that syncs your tools and your library so that you can take your Bible study with you wherever you go. I have access to hundreds of reference books right in my pocket. It really is pretty amazing. And because of our partnership with Logos, you can get a special offer by going to radicallychristian.com slash logos, radicallychristian.com slash L-O-G-O-S. Okay, thanks for listening. Now back to our Bible study. And we're back. Uh, So go ahead and get into the second part of the question which is, what is the relationship between faith and obedience? Or are these two sides of the same coin? Okay, great question. And I, I hope that all the work we did in the first <laughs> half will will sort of answer some yeah. of these second half questions. Because I think once you see it that way, once you understand that, that pistis, that faith is loyalty, allegiance, fidelity, then you understand that it that's not the same as obedience, but it includes obedience. Yeah. It, it's... You, you could be obedient to someone without giving them your allegiance, but you can't True. give someone your allegiance without being obedient to them. And and that's a, sure. an important distinction because what we're not saying is just go down this checklist of things to do right. and that's faith. No, we, we can't, we can't equate obedience and faith. They're not the same thing, but you cannot be faithful to King Jesus and disobey him. That that doesn't work. You can't be faithful to a king and say, I'm giving you my loyalty, but I'm still going to do things my own way. That's not how it works. And for so long, especially after the Protestant Reformation, we have adopted this idea that faith is just something that what you believe in your mind or what you believe in your heart about Jesus, and you could just live on your merry way and do whatever you want. Not I'm not saying that the Reformation leaders believe that. They didn't. But that has been, in some respects, the the fruit of sure. this idea that faith is just something you believe in your mind and that you don't have to be obedient. Nothing could be further from the truth. 
I don't know how you read the words of Jesus and think Jesus didn't care about our obedience. Right. And But I, I think what we've tried to do is we read all these things about the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is teaching discipleship. This is what it looks like to be my follower. Luke 14, Jesus saying, you have to hate your mother and your father, your wife and your children, even your own life. You have to take up your cross and follow me or you can't be my disciple. We read that, and then we read Paul in Ephesians 2 saying we're saved by grace, by faith, not of works, so that no one can boast. And we say, well, Jesus must not have really meant all that stuff. Like, you don't really have to live that way. You don't really have to denounce all that you have. You don't really have to commit your whole life to Jesus. You know, just believe in your heart that Jesus is the Son of God, and that's it. It's like, wait, no, no, no. We must be misunderstanding what faith is. And again, if you understand that faith is loyalty to a king, and this is what your king teaches you to do, Mm -hmm. then faith is so much more than just simply believing that Jesus is the Son of God. Yes, believe Jesus is the Son of God, absolutely. But in response to that reality, give him your loyalty, give him your trust, give him your whole self. Paul, Romans 12, offer your body as a living sacrifice to King Jesus. Well, I think the tension with what you're talking about, where you have some in Christendom who proclaim this idea of what it just matters, you know, what you believe, mm-hmm. right? Um, Going to be a very heavy on grace. Yes, yes. Right and which you know and rightfully so we should be heavy on grace yeah, Um, but sort of minimizing the obedience part yes, and then you have sort of the other end you have the obedience and I think that that tension is when we talk about to refer to the question obedience and faith being two sides of the same coin like obedience is wrapped up in your allegiance to God it has to be yes I think what a lot of people hear is you got to be getting it all right. Well, if you yes. were really a follower of Jesus, right. you'd be batting a thousand. Right, right. Yes. <laughs> yes, loyalty is not perfection. Yeah. Loyalty is not perfection. But even I tend to hear it that right, way when we right. start down. The, yeah. Yes. Well, I, I think it's helpful to think, just think about, just think about being, being a miserable wretch mm-hmm. lying in a gutter somewhere and you're there because of your own actions you made a, a wreck of your life and you are you're you're naked you're alone you're you're drunk you stink you you're covered in vomit and this king in bright clothing comes to you picks you up cleans you off makes you his family commits himself to you mm-hmm. did you earn that No, you didn't do anything. You didn't clean yourself up. You didn't perfect your life. You didn't do anything. All you did was trust him to do what he says he was going to do. You've committed yourself to him. And so that's what Jesus demands of us Mm -hmm. is commitment, commitment. What what we can't do is continue continue to live in the gutter. You can't do that and be a follower of Jesus. But, but, you also cannot pat yourself on the back and say, well, I've certainly done a really good job of cleaning up my life. And we've seen so much of that, of people who think that they've earned their salvation. Nothing could be further from the truth. This type of obedience is not a meritorious obedience where you've, you've earned anything. And it's not a checklist obedience. It's an obedience of totality of surrendering your whole self to Jesus and saying, now, Again, to your point, there is a tension here because this is 
this is radical. Mm-hmm. I mean, we don't call the blog radically Christian for nothing because Christianity is radical. It demands, Jesus demands everything. Mm-hmm. The, the people that came up to him while he was in the flesh, walking the earth and said, hey, I want to follow you. And Jesus is like, well, unless you're prepared to be homeless and turn your back on your parents and your wife and your kids and your, and your everything and just totally change your life and how you're doing everything, then you better rethink what you're, what you're asking for. Yeah. And yet we like push everybody into it and don't encourage them to count the cost of what, what they're doing because faith, faith is a total life commitment, a total life commitment. Again, that doesn't mean perfection and it doesn't mean we've earned anything. It doesn't mean we'll ever like get there and like, and it, and it doesn't mean we've 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 bought back our salvation again. When you picture it as a king, you can't. How how are you how are you going to earn family status in a king's family? You can't earn that. If if Jeff Bezos or Bill Gates or whatever wanted to adopt you into their family, adopt oh, yeah. some homeless child into their family, and and give them their inheritance and their wealth. What could that person do to earn that? That right. that couldn't even be part of the conversation. It, it couldn't you, ever be about earning it. All you can do is honor it. You can honor it, right, by living by the family standards. Yeah. Whatever the family standards are, live that way. Be loyal. Be grateful. Live in, in loyalty. Live in fidelity. That's what Jesus is asking of us. Yeah. And that's what Paul says when he says, you're saved by grace. It was this act of charis, this act of gift God gave you the gift of salvation and inheritance and family belonging, adoption into his family. And what he expects in return is fidelity, is allegiance, is loyalty, is commitment. Yeah. Does that include obedience to his commands? Of course it does. But again, not a checklist type of obedience, an obedience that a child obeys his father, that kind of obedience. Well, I think, yeah, and in, in, in faith becomes this animating spirit that calls you back it's like that's that's one of the things you're committing to is i don't get to just sin thoughtlessly anymore right right when i sin i'm going to have my faith is going to call me back to repentance right to better living to not just stopping something but actually like i i need to be doing good yeah i need to be i need to need to be participating in You know, cleaning up the world. I need to be right. participating in God's salt and kingdom light. and yeah. so, be salt and light. So I think, you know, that that idea of faith being an animating spirit. It's mm. what's you you can be animated by all kinds of spirits, yeah. idols, yeah. false gods. Yeah. Um, but ultimately, you're choosing Jesus, and He's the highest calling. Right. And it's it's going to be painful when you sin. Right. Because He's going to call you back. And this is exactly James's point. He, he says in James 2, don't, don't come at me with this idea that you can have a workless faith. Right. That, that's, a, that's, a, that's a contradiction in terms in his mind. Yeah. He's saying that, that's, like a, that's like saying you're a living person, but you don't have any spirit. <laughs> yeah. if, you, if, there's, if there's a body without a spirit, it's not a living person. If, there's, if it's possible to have faith removed works removed from it, then it's dead. It's a dead faith. It's not a living faith. So a living faith is 
like you were saying, and it's an active faith. It's an obedient faith. It's a working faith. It doesn't mean that the works have earned salvation. That's ridiculous. It doesn't even make sense. It, it has to be by grace alone, by grace alone. I'll say that a thousand times. By grace alone, we are saved as a gift. It, the only other alternative is we've earned it in, in, in part or in whole. That's ridiculous. You cannot earn adoption into a family. You can't earn that. Right. It, it, it is a total disgrace. It's a dis, literally disgrace. <laughs> it's dissing grace. It, it's a disgrace to the idea of adoption into God's family and that he is giving us Gentile sinners adoption and inheritance into his family. The only thing that could be the appropriate response is loyalty. It's yeah. loyalty. And I think that I think that's a good segue to the third question. Yeah. So the third question, he says, how would you respond to the idea that believers can never fall away, or if they do fall away, they were never really believers in the first place? This seems to me to negate free will and contradict the entire narrative of Scripture. If a former believer persists in disobedience, are they not demonstrating unbelief? Yes. And and it's a lot of Kent's question revolved around uh, Hebrews chapter 3 and the whole book of Hebrews, really. Hebrews 3, 14 through uh, 19 says this, says, we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as in the rebellion for who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? So he's talking about the, the Exodus generation. And with whom was he provoked for 40 years in the wilderness? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were able, they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Those are two different words, both in English and Greek, unbelief and disobedient. Yeah. But he's right. They go hand in hand. And he's, the Hebrew writer is writing all of this to warn Christians, just because you've been saved by God's grace doesn't mean that you're guaranteed to enter into the promised land if you don't continue in faith. If you don't continue in faith, right. you're going to fall away, just like the people who left Egypt. They're a perfect example that are continually used in the New Testament to remind people, don't be like that. God saved them. They were certainly saved. They were saved by grace. They were saved by grace through faith. Right. But they did not continue in faith. And because they did not continue in faith, they were unbelievers. That's, that's what it is, to be unfaithful. And unfaithfulness and disloyalty go hand in hand. Yeah. So if if faith is loyalty, then the opposite of loyalty is disloyalty. Yeah. And the rebels in the wilderness were disloyal to God. They didn't trust him. They didn't obey him. They didn't follow him. They didn't do what they were called to do or be who they were called to be. And the same can be true of us. Yeah. And that's why the Hebrew writer is writing what he's writing. Jude writes what he writes. Uh, Peter writes what he writes. Over and over again in the New Testament, we see these warnings against falling away. So this Calvinistic idea that once you're saved, you can't be lost, or if you are if you ever really had faith, then you won't ever lose your faith, that, that's simply not found in Scripture. But I will say, in defense of that idea, let's talk about faithfulness in terms of a spouse, because that's a that's a comparison that Scripture often sure. uses, is that marriage faithfulness. 
Now, if there's a couple who are happily married and you ask the husband, is your wife faithful? Is your wife a faithful wife? He could say, yes, my wife is a faithful wife. Then she commits adultery and they divorce because of her adultery and her unfaithfulness. And then he asked, somebody asked, was your wife faithful? Then the answer is no, she wasn't faithful. Right. Now, does that mean she was never faithful? Well, kind oh, of sure. yes and kind of no. Like her yeah. faith, her lack of faithfulness was proven. Her disloyalty was proven. Yeah. If she had been faithful her entire life, then you could say that her faithfulness was proven. And this yeah. is why so often in the New Testament, the the idea of faith is tested faith. It's proven faith. Your loyalty is really only proven when you have the opportunity to fall away, especially when you suffer, when you take up your cross and you're persecuted for Jesus and you remain faithful under trial. That's when you can say, yes, yes, you are proving to be faithful. Now, you could say there's a sense in which you only see faithfulness in hindsight to say, okay, was that person faithful? But there's also a sense in which you could see faithfulness happening right now. Like you can see faithfulness happening right now. You can know, and this is really the, the fourth question too. In fact, go ahead and read that if you don't mind. Yeah. Based upon a biblical understanding of faith, how can believers have assurance? Yeah. yeah. That's the question. Like, do you know that you are faithful right now? Well, that's a great question. And there's a lot in the New Testament about that. And that's one reason why the early Christians were thankful for persecution. That's why they they rejoiced when they were persecuted, right. because it was proof. It was a way of being tested. James says, James 1, consider it all joy, my brothers, when you face trials of various kinds, because the testing of your faith produces endurance, steadfastness. So that's really a way of saying, I really am faithful. I am, I'm, I'm picking up my cross. I'm following Jesus. So when we do, when we do things that are sacrificial and are hard, when we deny ourselves, when we're persecuted for our faith, when we, when we're slapped on one side and we turn and allow ourselves to be slapped on the other, these things are proof of our faithfulness. And, and there, again, scripture, second Corinthians 13, five, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves, or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test? So there's that idea of testing yourself to see whether or not you really are loyal to Jesus. And you brought up earlier about sin. Like, every time we sin, we should be convicted and be like, yep. that that's disloyal to King Jesus. And it should convict us and humble us, and we should yeah. we should repent, we should lament, we should weep and mourn, we should ask for forgiveness, and then actually make a change. Not this idea of, well, I've been baptized, that's all taken care of, who cares, it doesn't really matter. Whoa, whoa. Yeah. If we ever get nonchalant about our sin, but not just, not just our sin, every time we hear a sermon, every time we're in a Bible class, every time we open up scripture and we read it, we listen to the words of Jesus, the the life to which he's calling us. Every time I read the Sermon on the Mount, yeah. I think Jesus is saying, hey, if, if you're not salty, what good are you? If you only love the people that love you back, what good is that? Everybody does that. That's not really a follower of mine. So these things are ways of testing ourselves, of looking and saying, do I have a log in my eye? Or as James says, look in the mirror see whether you're really a doer of the word or you're just a hearer only. So 
Should we be able to have assurance and confidence? Absolutely we should. But that comes with, with testing, both external testing where we're being tested, our faith is being tested, and we're enduring, we're persevering, we're going through the test, and we're coming out on the other side, and where we're doing self-reflection, self-discipline, mm-hmm. self-examination. Our whole series, our whole theme this year at McDermott Road is about reflect, reflect and renew. It's about self-examination. It's got to be a constant practice of Christians where we're looking at our life and saying, am I really a faithful, loyal allegiant follower of Jesus, does does my allegiance belong exclusively to him? Or am I trying to, to use your bet analogy, am I hedging my bets mm-hmm. by trying to live with one foot in this kingdom and one foot in that kingdom and pledge my allegiance to, to multiple things and people and ideas yeah. and concepts, and Jesus is just one of the things I've got going on in my life? That is disloyalty. Yeah. That's unbelief. Yeah, and this idea you brought up in the question about, you know, if, if someone falls away, they were never saved to begin with. It's mm-hmm. like, I always thought that that's convenient. Like, that's the circular reasoning there is very sure. strong. Sure. Um, and that's primarily Calvinistic right. Right. Uh, doctrine. Um, but I also think, I, as I read over that, I was thinking about the parable of the wheat and the tares mm-hmm. and this idea of. I mean, I think about that parable pretty much all the time now. Yeah. Uh, but but this idea that it brings up, like, God's going to raise us all up mm-hmm. together. Mm-hmm. He's going to, like, raise us in the church, mm-hmm. in the kingdom, mm-hmm. and he'll sort it out right. when it's done. Right. So this idea that different sections of uh, Christendom have come up with, you know, well, who's saved, who's not saved. Yeah. I, I have come to think of that, like, in some ways, that's none of your business. <laughs> It's a good point. It's like, yeah. and and it, and there's even a sense in which it's not, none of my business. Am I saved or not? That's God's going to determine that. Now, I I, I think to the point about assurance, like I do have faith mm-hmm. in the grace of God. Mm-hmm. I have faith that God is He's going to be faithful right. to the covenant, regardless of whether I I, I am or not. Yeah. And he's going to be faithful to his covenant people, yes. whether or not I'm part right. of that or not. Right. Well, <laughs> yeah, and right. To, to even just to me, that that works like he's going to live up to his end for sure of yeah. what he said he was going to Absolutely. do. Um, and but yeah, certainly to his covenant people. But I think I also just think about this idea of someone falling away. It's like I've I've seen personally, and I we we can certainly observe throughout history in conflicts like between uh, you know. Catholics and Calvinists mm. and Lutherans, you know, and, and so on and so forth. We've seen this this kind of accusation of like you're not like you're you're not saved. Mm. You've fallen away. I, I'm I'm just, I mean, Paul gives us many different examples of when disfellowship and things like mm. that mm-hmm. are necessary. But I, I've seen that abused mm. to the point of like I've seen particularly young people. Well, no, I think they fell away when you told them they'd fallen away. Like, <laughs> you, 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 it was a self fulfilling prophecy that mm. you uttered. Mm-hmm. Like, were they struggling? Mm. Were they, were they doing wrong things and living in a way that, yeah, but I think they're also like, we have to have grace for each other. Mm-hmm. And we also, like, I've also seen it go the other way where people are struggling with a family member or a friend and, their lifestyle and their behavior, and but they hang on to them. Mm-hmm. 
and they and they rebuke when it's appropriate to rebuke, yeah. Yeah. and they have grace yeah. the rest of the time. Well, that's 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 really the, the Hebrew writers, right? That's the yeah. the Hebrew writers' whole point. That's what yeah. the whole book is about. Is about yes, the possibility of apostasy. Yeah. Yes, it's a, it's possible to to become disloyal to King Jesus and to fall away from him. Yeah. But he's writing this whole letter to maybe even preaching this sermon to strengthen their faith. If faith is what holds people to our gracious king, then our job with each other is to strengthen one another's faith. This is yeah. what Hebrews 10 is all about. We've abused the idea of don't forsake the assembling together of yourselves. He's he's saying there are some that have been disloyal to King Jesus who have abandoned yeah. the fellowship of 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 us, of the family. Don't don't not only don't do that, but also consider how to spur one another on, how to stir one another up towards love and good works, strengthen one another's faith, allow your faith, your faith to be strengthened and strengthen the faith of others. Before we close, I want to, I want to read this passage from second Timothy, because I think this is not only a great definition of the gospel, but also of faith and assurance of salvation. I'm reading this from the New Testament for Everyone, which is N.T. Wright's uh, translation of the Bible. 2 Timothy 1, 8 through 12 says, So don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, Paul, as his prisoner. Rather, suffer for the gospel along with us in accordance with God's power. God saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace. He gave us this grace in King Jesus before all time and ages, but has now made it visible through the appearing of our Savior, King Jesus, who abolished death and through the gospel shone a bright light on life and immortality. I was made a herald, apostle, and teacher for this gospel. That's why I suffer these things. But I am not ashamed because I know the one I have trusted. That's the verb form of pistis. The one I have trusted and I'm convinced that he has the power to keep safe until that day what I have entrusted to him. That's the whole thing. That's what the gospel is about King Jesus. That's what his grace is. It's not according to our works. We haven't earned it or deserve it. It's by his grace. It's a gift and it's received by giving him our trusting allegiance, our loyalty and our faithfulness. And Paul says, I'm convinced. I know for a fact he is going to raise me from the dead. So I know that I have confidence. I have confidence not in my own obedience or my intelligence or my religiosity or my goodness, but in the fact that my patron king, my benefactor, the one who has rescued me will raise me from the dead and that he has already given me his Holy Spirit as a down payment. I know without a doubt that that's true. I also know that if I suddenly rebel against him and am disloyal to him, that I can be cut off from that family. And I am not going to do that. And I am sure that I am not going to do that. I am 100% confident in his ability to save me and in the fact that I'm not going anywhere. He has the words of eternal life, and he's the only one who does. Thank you so much for listening to the Radically Christian Bible Study Podcast. If you have just a moment, we would love for you to rate and review the podcast on iTunes or wherever you're listening. It really does help people find this content. 
I also want to thank the guests who join me each week, Travis Pauly, who edits this podcast, Beth Tabor, who often volunteers her time to transcribe it, and our whole McDermott Road Church family who make it possible for us to provide this Bible study for you. Now, let's go out and love like Jesus. Jesus.